Welcome to The Coaching Question. This is a podcast for people who want to know more about coaching, how and when to use it, and really what they're all about. So thanks for listening as you join me, Gregor Finlay, and my colleagues here at Turner, two executive coaches for an honest conversation. And in today's episode, we ask a question, how can HR get the greatest return on investment from coaching? Today, I'm so excited that we have James Edgar joining us. Welcome, James. Hi there. Well, thank you for having me. I'm equally excited. This is this is a great and great honour for me. So, yeah, really pleased to be here. Let me let me give a little intro to you for all our listeners. So, James comes with over 20 years' experience in the HR field, and he's worked in a number of sectors: manufacturing, facilities, financial services, and then most recently, um, he has been the global chief people officer for WaveMaker, which is the fifth largest global media agency. James is also an executive coach, and he's been running his private practice for nearly six years. And he also mentors with the Warwick Business School, and he's been a charity trustee. And so he comes to our podcast today, providing that wealth of experience of being both a purchaser of coaching, as well as a provider of coaching services. So James, tell us a little bit about you and your career. I'm, I'm really interested to learn what attracted you initially to HR and then what attracted you to train as a coach. Yeah, so I suppose I shouldn't really admit this as part of my intro. I think I fell into HR. I had great aspirations about being either an accountant or a lawyer. And when I went to university, realised that neither of those really kind of excited me. And interestingly, I started leaning towards things like psychology and sociology. And it was really the bit that started to come to life was actually the power of unlocking people's potential and how that really drives a business that led me into kind of early forays into into HR. So I started my career with Ford. So a great environment to to learn your trade, moving from kind of blue collar on the shop floor to, to white collar manufacturing and marketing and sales. And then I kind of have really jumped around. I've experienced financial services, both in terms of um, investment banking, corporate banking, retail and PE. Uh, I had a foray into facilities. And then, as you said, more recently, marketing and sales. And I think that that element of how do you really unlock people has been the common thread that's really centered to, to my career. I've always had a leaning towards people development. And, and I think that's really where I started very early on finding that as a HR practitioner, you start building really trusted relationships with all sorts of people across the organization, but particularly mm-hmm. those senior individuals that you partner and you end up almost being a pseudo coach uh, in mm. some of those relationships where you hold the mirror up. And, mm. and I think it's one of those things that became quite natural to me. And in, in fact, I got a coach which really started to open up horizons for me that said, actually, does it always have to be internally and could I be a coach externally as well? So we explored some of that. And I always felt that I needed, if I'm honest, some validation, which is why I went on and trained with the iCoach Academy to, to get my qualification and I suppose one of the things that really struck me was what you turn up as a coach in the space. And so that self-discovery journey that you go through as, as part of the coaching training was so insightful. And I think that's really then allowed me to continue my professional development going forward. So I've, I've loved the journey. And as I sit today, you know, the ability to toggle between a day job as a CPO, but then also run a private practice on on the side of the desk, really, to kind of give me that balance has also been quite enriching for me as well. 
the thing that struck me in what you shared there, particularly just on the coaching front, was was the development that you go through when you train as a coach. And, and I, always, I always feel a bit silly saying this. It's a bit naive. But when I did my training coaching, I had exactly the same experience. I was so focused on, I want to be a coach, that I kind of had missed the fact that by training to become a coach, I was going to go through this whole journey myself, which is just which is just huge. And as you say, just helps to illustrate the power that coaching can have. And I was interested, James, you know, with that unique perspective of being both an HR director and a coach, what advice would you could you now give to your younger self? Well, one of the things I would definitely say is actually have faith in yourself. You know, that that ability to tap into points in your career where you need some real resilience to have that belief to actually make the call or take that risk and I think there's also been times where building a reflective practice where you can just stop and take some space to actually really think about what's going on rather than kind of get trapped in the grip if I was saying something to my younger self I think it really is about having that faith in yourself but every now and again taking some space just to see what's going on you know it's a it's that old football analogy of kind of putting your foot on the ball and just stopping and seeing what's around rather than kind of head down charging all the time. Uh, and that's been invaluable for me. And I wonder whether there's something in that more broadly for HR professionals. And I suppose what I'm thinking about is particularly at the moment as we record this in, what are we, November, kind of 18 months, maybe even closer to two years now into the pandemic. In my experience, you know, everybody, but particularly HR professionals are being particularly burnt out because there's been so much that has been thrown at them. I mean, plenty of people didn't even know what furlough was, you know, two years ago. And there's been so much that has been thrown at them. And of course, they're the people that are often trying to pick up and deal with mental health challenges or stress challenges or, you know, restructures as a result of the impact of the pandemic. And so just just your point there about stopping and reflecting and creating that space, I think often many people struggle with, but in my experience, particularly HR. Any, Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm a bit biased being a HR practitioner. I, I kind of think we're cobbler's children, you know. I think there's there's times where actually, you know, in, in the pandemic, I, I experienced different pulls from the business. You know, there was one around how safe is our, our organisation, you know, as we go through this. And when you start seeing the spread of it from Asia Pacific right into Western Europe and into the US and then just realising how dispersed globally we are, you know, there was a lot to kind of handle in terms of actually our employees safe, you know, what support do we need to, to do from there? Then we got to a stage where actually it's stabilising a bit and we've put some provision in place. Now it's about what's the safety of the business. And as we start seeing clients, you know, really start reading from can they spend and start taking expenditure back, it was actually how do you protect the business? And that has people impacts as well. And my belief is, actually, I don't think we're out of the woods. I, I kind of think, you know, the oscillations from the the pandemic will continue, maybe not at the same extremities, but I think there's a lag factor of the burnout. I think there's people that are going to find it kind of catching up with them. And I think that's true of the, the HR function. You know, I think there's some times where actually that space just for yourself or for the function itself is incredibly important so that you can actually take that breath and then go on to the, you know, the next run of challenges that you face um, too often you kind of just keep going and keep going and then burn out and then don't realize until it's too late. Well I was just thinking that's a, a really great point in terms of here is you, you mentioned the, the foot on the ball, the time for reflection, time out to make sure we're not burning out you know if we're burning out our people we don't have a, we don't have a business. When people are worried about their business surviving they might be worried about cash flow 
then that ROI argument becomes really, really important. So it goes back to that core question of how do you, what is the best way to justify the ROI of coaching, especially in this environment? Yeah, I mean, I think there's two things, Gregor. I think what, what the pandemic did for me was really highlight and amplify the need for connection. You know, whether that's connection from the supervisor to the individual, the connection between the HR function to the business. I think the firms that did it well or the leaders that did it well actually showed up authentically with empathy and connected. And, you know, that there isn't a playbook that's going to give you a full set of answers on how to kind of do the pandemic. But I think there are times when you have to balance kind of containment and carrying on. And so to your point about ROI, I think I think it's about, you know, just really kind of boiling it down to what what is it you need to get to, whether it's employee safety or company safety, let's be really clear about that. But then let's make sure that kind of connection is there. So to your point about ROI on coaching, you know, I think the first question on it is actually what do you want coaching to do? You know, what's it there for? And being really super clear about how you're going to employ coaching and how are you going to employ coaching as an integrated solution rather than just a standalone thing? You know, I see too often both as a coach or kind of seeing other organizations that actually once you've signed off the coaching dollars, you've done it. You've kind of developed the person and you you leave them to it. Um, and, I, and I don't think that's I don't think that's true. You know, like most investments, once once you've committed the cost, there's a bit of work to kind of harvest, uh, well, nourish and then harvest what that cost and, and um, outlay is going to be. And I think that's very true for coaching as well. So from your experience, bringing that unique perspective of being both an, an HR director and, and an executive coach, what do you think is that magic ingredient? To use your language there about nourishing and harvesting mm. the return on your investment, what have you seen work particularly well? So I'm going to make this sound more formulaic than it probably is. But I, I think, like I say, I would start with what are you are trying to do from coaching and be really, really clear about that. And what I find is, you know, particularly as a coach coming into a business, sometimes that's quite murky. And sometimes it's not always aligned between the organization and the coachee. And there are some worrying signs, you know, and again, sometimes it takes some courage as a coach to say, actually, I'm not going to, I don't think you need coaching on on this. But, you know, you, you have the coaching as a bit of a magic, magic bean that suddenly in the morning, there'll be this huge plant outside that's going to take you up to the sky. So you're going to have a hypo person that actually with coaching is just going to accelerate through the organization like that. Um, you have coaching as a bit of a crutch where it's just continual and it becomes more like a counseling or say kind of third arm. And I think there's also elements where coaching can be the extension of the line manager, you know, kind of giving performance feedback or almost stepping into the shoes of turning performance around. So I think there is something around, let's be really clear about what you're trying to solve for. And then within that, what's the roles that actually the company need to play, whether that's the HR department, the line manager, the coach and the individual. So for me, I think it's once you're really clear about what that looks like and also what it doesn't look like. So you have that kind of element of boundary contracting and the setup of the coaching relationship is really, really key. So you know, I think it's important to have, whether it's three-way, four-way, depending on the organisation, some real clear perspective about what the coaching will then do, who's doing what in that role, and then actually creating some of the space for the coaching. So you'll have confidentiality in that, but what's the feedback loop? Because as the coach, you almost have two clients. You have the, the coachee that you're, you're working with, but also the person that's kind of paying the bill. So actually, what's what's the relationship with the organization and how do you broker that up front and there are times where as a coach 
I noticed that maybe that boundaries started to deteriorate where the organization wants a bit more insight into what someone's thinking about or they want an assessment but around the back door type thing. So I think there's something about the clarity of that. And so in, in the coaching that I do or the coaching that I kind of purchase, I always ensure that there's there's a three-way. I always ensure that there's a feedback loop between the coachee and the coach and then midway through the program actually back to the organization and I'm pretty comfortable about how that happens but ideally I'd like the coachee to lead that I think it comes back to ownership of development but I think the people in the three-way should also be party to the part way through review and I'm very clear that there should be a close so you know I'm putting coaching in for a specific reason so there should be an end point and then that closing piece is where really for me the coach leaves stage left but the ongoing responsibility of development is still discussed. So the coachee still is very clear about what's next. The line manager is very clear about what's next. And the organization is also clear about what's next. So it becomes much more of a longer term journey where coaching has almost been a bit of a shot in the arm for a very specific time. And you can move that forward. So what I find, I think, is I was very flippant that people kind of you know sign the dollars off and leave it. But I think actually coaching is an ongoing commitment, not just for the coachee, but I think for the organisation as well. And I think you have to make time to to make sure that it's on track or you course correct. Because as I say, you have to make sure that you're spending the money in the right way. First of all, I'm really glad. I think we could work really well together because I think I basically I I'm in complete agreement with what you're saying. You know, I think the three-way and alignment of the goals between the organization and the coach is really, really important. The midway review and the close, they're all really important. There's, as you were talking, I was thinking that, that I think there can be a little bit of a parallel process going on, which is some businesses, you get certain executives that will just say, I don't really want to deal with this. I'm just going to try and throw it to HR. And you get the same thing going on with the line managers, especially with performance, is I don't really want to deal with this. I'm actually going to I'm going to outsource that a bit to the coach. So part of that three-way conversation can be, well, what happens if the coaching doesn't work? Mm-hmm. And some managers can be really, really uncomfortable with that question because clearly there, you know, there's a performance management issue in there. I do have a question for you because it's a it's a thing I've been struggling with is in this midway review point whether or not that's a three-way or whether that's a two-way. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I've been playing with what's the best thing to do. So I yesterday I played with asking the coach, she, what, what do you think is going to be best? That I get a, some time alone with the line manager so they can just really openly give me feedback. They can tell me about anything in the system that you can't really talk about with the coach, she, is that going to be more useful than another three-way? Because actually in the first three-way, the line manager was a bit all over the place. Mm. You know, he didn't actually, the coach, he didn't get much value out of it. And he was thinking, I think we'll get more value about two-way. So I'm just interested in your insights about that being a two-way or a three-way. I think I'm going to sound very Swiss, Gregor. I think it depends. Um, <laughs> I, I think it depends on on what you're using the coaching for. And I think it also depends on the trust that you have with the individual being coached. So um, there have been times where I've been quite clear that I only want it as a two-way um, between the coachee and the sponsor. And the reason why I've said that is because I think it helps build capacity for the coachee to have that kind of conversation with their line manager. 
and it's the chance to actually have unadulterated feedback from the line manager on is the coaching making a difference? Do you need to kind of course correct and have that conversation? And I have had instances where people play up, right? That when you have a third person in the room, the dynamic changes. And so the experience of having that new person come in, you know, isn't always what naturally happens on a on a two-way basis. So so I've been pretty comfortable with that. I've wanted then, a, you know, I suppose there's kind of different levels, you know, this is where it gets more complex, but if the line manager has a conversation with the coachee, then it's a kind of just a quick check-in from a HR point of view of, is it working both from the coachee point of view and from the line manager point of view? I think that could be separate. I suppose some of it's also about momentum. Is some environments are incredibly fast-paced, so trying to get three ways in or four ways in is is quite time-consuming. And rather than lose momentum in the coaching process, we've kind of done it off-beam. I think there are times when actually sometimes line managers aren't that well-equipped for this. And so sometimes having the coach do it also is a bit of pseudo-coaching for the line manager. Yes. And I found that actually in some of the prep that I might do for a mid-program, a lot of it's actually trying to help the line manager crystallise what's the feedback that they want to give. So although not set up as the coaching objective, almost a byproduct of the coaching objective is actually sometimes help the line manager. No, thanks for that. I like I like your Swiss hands. And building on your point there about the line manager, and I, I kind of would would agree, I think, you know, line managers seem to come come at this with differing levels of understanding and and, and experience. What in your experience do line managers need to know or to think about when they're engaging with a coach for somebody in their team? What are the sorts of things that that they need to think about what would your thoughts be on that i think it's about what does good look like and what what are they really looking for as a change from the individual that's being coached and how will they know that you know what's the kind of tangible things and and that is hard because sometimes we're talking about behavioral stuff rather than quantitative kpis i think for a lot of line managers i think it's also this the boundaries of coaching and where do they step in when they can't so the confidentiality of some of the coaching conversations i've often had line managers you know quite their interest quite peaked to understand what's been said and sometimes what's been said about me uh, is, is, the, is the other one uh, so so there is there is something about having faith in the process and faith in the coach and that's why i think the setup and the chemistry that, that happens is really important because actually unless you have that faith you'll always have that nagging feeling that kind of gets into that and then again i'd reiterate there is a role that line manager plays throughout this process and beyond and it's being really clear about how they do that i think the good line managers make the time to again contract with the individual about what's the support that they need or help that they need through this process you know what's the feedback they need and that just becomes an equilibrium that they kind of find as they go through it um but to, to your point, Greg, sometimes you have the kind of, I'm done here. You know, I've set the coach up and gone. And then why have we not had this kind of change after three months? I think that's where you need more involvement in it. I just wanted to let listeners know that we are recording this, but we're actually, we can see each other on video. And when James was talking about that, well, we all know the managers that want to know more and trying to break down the security, you know, the confidentiality barrier. Everybody had big grins on their faces <laughs> and nodding because we've all seen it. The other thing I would add, though, is also sometimes it's actually trying to get into the space of the uncomfortable. So with coaching, sometimes, depending on the setup, actually, the, the uncomfortable thing is what happens if the individual just doesn't want to stay in the organisation? Mm. And that could be a product of the coaching. And, and actually, generally, I'm pretty good. I'm OK with that as the purchaser on the basis that I'd rather have people who are committed to the organisation. And, you know, life is about making choices. And sometimes that chapter ends for someone. 
I think there's times where some of the KPIs around retention almost overplays in organisations. And so managers really tightly grip people staying in the in their team or staying in their organisation. So there is a bit also that kind of starts testing for, for line managers. What's that uncomfortable piece that you also have to kind of accept and open up to? My experience is that most of the purchasers of coaching are very cool with that. Mm-hmm. That, they, that they know that. that the line managers can really struggle with it. Yeah, and and it's not it's not to belittle the pressure the line managers under. No. You know, I, I know with with some big organisations, you know, the bureaucracy of then trying to get a replacement hire or the lag time or the impact of sales is there. So I, I I don't want to be lost to that context, but I suppose it's that balance, right? You know, kind of keeping people that aren't wanting to be there is also quite detrimental, just in a different way. I think what this conversation is making me think about is. I think there is actually quite a lot that we need and expect from line managers when there is a coaching engagement taking place. And I think, you know, to your point, James, they're not always necessarily going to have the knowledge or the experience to, to know how to play the role they need to play that we need them to play in the most effective way. And I mean, your point there about the role they play, I mean, any, in any three-way, I'll often have the conversation about, well, I'm doing this coaching with the client and all I see is and here is what they share with me, but actually they're operating within the system and you play a really important role in being in mm. that system, seeing them day to day, observing them and able therefore to give feedback or support them to your point there about what does that look like. So I think there's, there's something quite interesting here about actually how do we equip line managers to really get the most out of the coaching that, that's taking place for their team member. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is kind of education, isn't it? I think a lot of it's really just being clear about the coaching process, how you want to include coaching and actually how it sits with an overall people proposition. There's an element of how do you support the individual line manager, but there's also something in here about actually is there something systemic in the system that also needs to be thought about. And so one of the things that I have done with coaches as a purchaser is actually start contracting with them about having some feedback for me around what the system is doing and how that shows up in the coaching relationship. And it's not to break the confidentiality of the individual coaching relationship. But if, for example, there is a shadow from the top leadership team that's actually impeding people's progression and development, that's important to know. And and you can do that quite anonymously, quite safely. And those themes from an organisational point of view, I think are incredibly valuable for a HR practitioner to understand the culture and the kind of more organisational lens that sometimes an external person coming in kind of feeding off those one-to-one conversations can give. And that often isn't used, I think. When, mm. I, when I come into coaching, a lot of times the feedback is the individuals loving the coaching is brilliant. And, and then it ends. And I'm kind of thinking, actually, what's really interesting as an outsider coming in is there's a recurring theme when I've done two or three people about the impacts of X or actually some of the change program you're going through, what is that causing? And so I think there is sometimes an untapped level of information that HR practitioners can kind of miss out on. James, I just I just scrolled down a few things and I thought, actually, that might be a completely unscripted. I was just thinking, okay, the return that, that or you might want to get from coaching, thinking from an HR director's perspective. And I came up with a short list, which was, onboarding, which then relates to retention. So the onboarding retention, an uplift of performance to unblock the leadership pipeline, you know, to get to get progression. Mm-hmm. Support for specific business challenges. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I've got to lead this change program. I don't have the skills. I need someone to support me, which also be maybe mentoring as an engagement tool, just as a, as a general mm-hmm. engagement tool or part of other L&D things like training to get a better return on mm-hmm. the training. Have I missed anything? I suppose it's kind of derivations of what you're talking about. So for me, I think there's also something around potential culture change. Yeah. You can use coaching for individuals as culture change. And, and particularly when you're starting to look at line managers, you're almost kind of, you know, I often talk about that kind of layer of clay. Somewhere in the organisation, in every organisation I've been, there's always been a bit of a layer of clay where you try and do something top down and it stops somewhere. And mm-hmm. so sometimes that kind of release of that layer can be really powerful. And so, you know, I've used coaching for culture deployment. You know, if I really want to start thinking about collaborative working, how do I really start giving a spike on that with coaching and then then hold the mirror up for the individual that says, actually, how do you bring that into your team? And then actually, how do you pervade that into your team and below? So sometimes I think it can be something that helps from, from that perspective. I was just about to say, I mean, have you brought in other kinds of coaching rather than just the one-to-one? So thinking about your layer of clay, and I love that. I'm going to steal that, if I may. Um, I was having a conversation with someone about that just the other day. I'm thinking as a, as a, if I was a listener, I might think, yeah, but to do one-on-one coaching for middle management, that could be pretty expensive, right? So have you, have you sort of thought mm. about or have you experienced doing group coaching or team coaching or anything like that at that level? Uh, we have done team coaching. I've done it as part of an acceleration program for new leaders. So we've done a coaching session where we would run through a kind of structure, if you like, uh, that helps with the assimilation process of a new manager coming in. So there's a coaching piece that the individual gets as the new manager coming in, you know, how do they want to show up? You know, what's important for them? What's the business goals? And really specifically holding a mirror up to say, if you're going to realize these business goals, what is it you need to do to realize that? And importantly, what, what might you need to change in yourself to get to that? And then I suppose it's that kind of classic triangle of the third angle. So the first is the business goal. The second is the individual. And then the third angle is the team is actually to reach that business goal. What do you need from the team? And it, it becomes a really interesting contracting conversation for the individual with their team as they first enter that role. And then I'd get the coach to then do a team facilitation that almost is what do we know about Gregor, who's going to be my new line manager? What, what I don't know, but I would like to know. What should he know about the goals? What should he know about the organisation? And what are we going to prepare to do? So it almost starts contracting conversation, for want of a better term. But the output from it has often led to things like team values or team ethic statements. There's been a lot around really very crisp contracting about what do they need from the new line manager and vice versa. A bit of the system, what's in the politics of the organization that you don't really get from a recruitment process so it's been quite valuable from that perspective and then we've done a follow-up three months and six months afterwards just to make sure they're on track and actually that kind of dialogue's going so we've, we've done a bit around that and i've also used coaching you know i suppose most action learning sets are around that from a culture point of view or from a you know business challenge point of view and used it on hypo programs so that's where i think being really crisp about what coaching is because it's quite a catch-all term (laughs) whether it's individual or team or you know how many instances you want and the different types of coaching that there there are it's a really big field and and again I don't want to sound dismissive but I think there's a lot for line managers to kind of get Mm. grips with if it's not their natural space and without trying to sound too controversial I think that's true of the HR function as well just about to say that sometimes I, I work with HR directors who aren't clear about really what coaching is versus mentoring or whether some of that boundary is, or counselling, or you know, role of BAU uh, responsibility. 
And that becomes actually quite difficult when you start contracting for coaching services when someone clearly isn't in the same space around what that coaching is there to do, boundaries, confidentiality, et cetera, et cetera. So there is also something incumbent on the HR function to actually understand what coaching can do, how it works and uh, how they want to use it. I think it's easy to make an assumption that that HR get it, that they they understand, you know, what mm. coaching is and how it's different to all the things you've just outlined. And I mean, even just slightly off topic, but one of the things I often find is it's easy to assume that HR understand what diversity and inclusion is and 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 how to kind of bring about that kind of change. And and just because you're in an HR role or as an HR practitioner doesn't mean you're going to be an expert in every single aspect of HR because it's just a massive field. Mm. And, and I think actually, you know, as an outsider coming into it, it can be quite intimidating. You know, the, mm. the jargon that's used, you know, the different tranches of coaching that's there. There's a lot of overlaps on on some of this where philosophy is. And that's where I think actually, again, it, it can be quite tough. You know, if you're a junior HR person dealing with an external experience coach, there is a kind of element of courage to ask some of the questions that sometimes might be uncomfortable. But yeah. again, you know, one of the things I would say is ultimately you are the purchaser of the service. So you have to be comfortable with actually the person that you're choosing or the services that you want and how that service fits into the roster of coaches that you've got, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking in terms of, you know, tough questions or, you know, having to know this sort of stuff. I'm just wondering, James, from, from an HR director perspective, when have you seen, actually from a coach perspective, when have you seen coaching not deliver and why? I see, I mean, to be honest, I, I've seen coaching not deliver on a number of occasions and and it's really easy to be on a podcast kind of giving advice on how to get ROI out of coaching. Most of my experience is because I've got it wrong, right? So it's not because I'm the, <laughs> I'm the textbook to come to. But um, I, I think it's been a variety of reasons. I've seen coaching not work because, do you know what, the setup was poor. The, the objectives were just not clear enough or it needed a course correction, which we never did. I've seen it not work because actually, you know, coaching's an odd, odd service because of the way it, uh, can get initiated you know often an exec will come with a trusted coach they've had for years and so they kind of almost come as a package into an organization and actually you want to do the right thing for the new hire so it's trying to find the balance of actually then understanding what's the coach there to do the skills of the coach and how does that sit in with your own kind of values and and so sometimes it feels like you're kind of testing you know that relationship with someone that you're trying to woo into an organization and so I think one of the things that I've always felt is actually it's justified to ask those questions around, you know, tell me about the coach. What's the framework? You know, what's their ethics statement? How do you really understand their practice and continuation of the practice? I think there's times where actually I'm a big one about building self-capacity into the coachee. And so that's why I like having an end point, even if you kind of contract for a number of programs, but having an end point that gives you a focus to get to. And I've seen sometimes coaching can get a bit blurry of those endpoints, And so it just then extends and extends. Or like I say, it's been signed off and then forgotten about. We, we just keep seeing the invoice come in and it goes to your accounts payable. Don't worry about it afterwards. And they're happy because they haven't come back and complained. So your point about engagement is, yes, I think it's really valid. And I think where the power of engagement comes in is actually you really see that kind of purpose rather than it's a toy that you've just given them to kind of play with and they kind of occupy themselves away it's like the kind of corporate ipad you know when the kids are screaming give an ipad and they shut them up I, I think there's a danger with coaching and some of those measures you can kind of pay for stuff like that to kind of keep someone happy but that you really then got to start questioning why are you putting the coaching in place and who for i wonder sometimes about the programmatic thinking because i think some people who get into coaching sometimes it's from l and d you know I've, I've, I, there was one organization that they had 
three L&D directors in a row. They were in for a year, everyone. And it was, I'll come in, I have to establish a new curriculum. They would want to establish a new curriculum and then they would leave and the next one would come in and they had to establish a new curriculum. And I sometimes just want organisations to think, what are the two or three most important initiatives we've got? Where's my coaching to support those initiatives? Mm. Mm. Rather than it being a programmatic thing is, yeah, well, we have a coaching programme. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because I think for me then it comes back to, you know, part of your return has to be linked to the business strategy. It's where does this sit and what's the so what to the company? And I think for me, what you've described, Gregor, is sometimes the divorce of that is it becomes a program to say we've got something and it becomes a very transactional thing that we've got tick box versus actually what's it there to do. Because it's such an interesting conversation. But if we, we start to wrap up, uh, James, do you have do you have three tips? Uh, yeah, I've got loads, but I'll try and condense it to three. I mean, I think I think as we've talked about, the first thing is being really clear about what you want coaching for. What does good look like and how does it sit within everything else that you've got to make it integrated? The second thing is contract really, really clearly. You know, be really specific about what you want to get from the coach, what you need from the line manager, what you as the HR professional will also be doing in this. And then I think the third thing I'd say, which is a bit more loose, but is, is about being discerning. When you hire a coach, the coach is an extension of you as a HR function and you as a company. And so I think it's really important that you get the roster of coaches that actually represent what you want and need as an organisation. And I don't think it always is about having the same coach. I think it's having a variety of coaches so that you can kind of give that choice to people. And I think, you know, actually regularly reviewing your roster and really understanding what you need to get from that coaching roster both an individual level and that organisation level we talked about, is a really good practice to kind of keep coming back to. I really like that point, particularly, because I think it's so easy, just as, as you say, I mean, you talked about exec- senior executives bringing their coaches with them. I mean, actually, you could argue, have, we could have a really good debate about how long should you work with a with a client for on an ongoing basis, because there comes a point to your right beginning of the, the podcast, you talked about how it can sometimes be like a crutch. So, yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. I think that third point for me is one that really stands out because the other two, like, yes, I, I, I can expect them, but that it's so easy. I've noticed that people end up with rosters or a few coaches because it's just happened by accident. And what you're saying is a really mm. active thing that needs to come from the HRD or whomever's looking after coaching, which is what do I really want is my roster of coaching, what I wanted to reflect values-wise, uh, et cetera. I think that's a really magical tip. And I think if you're doing that, you're much more likely to get a good return. For you as an HR director as well as, you know. Yeah, and I kind of like it. You know, in most other functions, you do that with the suppliers. And so why would you not in the HR function for coaching? So I'm just thinking, James, that um, listeners here may well be interested to either have some coaching with you themselves or talk to you about anything um, HR related. So if people want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Happy to link in or my email address is james.blackpolarbear at gmail.com. Happy to anyone to reach out to me. Brilliant. There's a story there at Black Polar Bear. Yes. There is. I think it's on your it's on, it's on your website, isn't it? Is, there, is your story still there? there is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I've got a website that kind of explains why why I've used the black polar bear. It's a lot about kind of going deeper rather than just taking the first sight. So polar bears have black skin. And so sometimes it's very easy to forget that actually there's something in underneath rather than getting stuck at the white fur piece. 
So thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. We really do appreciate any feedback and we're keen to respond to any questions you might have about using or implementing coaching in organizations. So please email us on info at thecoachingquestion.com and please do give us a rating on iTunes or your preferred podcasting or video platform because it really helps us to spread the word to a wider audience. Look out for our next episode and we look forward to speaking to you then. Thank you.